Hi guys, and welcome back to your Pussy for a podcast. I am one of your hosts, Saba. And I'm Iman. And I am Salma. So this is going to be our, I think, is it our fifth episode of our Black Lives Matter series? Mm-hmm. And um, this episode is basically, we're calling it The UK Isn't Innocent. And um, just to kind of reiterate on um, what we've been speaking about the last couple of weeks, and showing it from a UK perspective, um, this whole movement with Black Lives Matter, and just kind of delving that into that a bit deeper because I think we only really see one side when it comes to this and that is usually America mm-hmm. um, this week we have Zena back again Zena is um, activist and a spoken word poet um, and also my sister and she's been on previous episode as well that you should check out um, I think the second episode of the Black Lives Matter no the first series. one the first one the and the second one. one. Oh. Yeah, both. thank you for having me. Girl, back. you forgetting your sister? I'm forgetting mm-hmm. my sister. Yeah, Thanks sorry. Thanks for having me back, guys. I feel like the big sister of the show now. You yeah. are. You are. You are oh. always, always welcome. Thank you. So, just to kind of uh, start the conversation, the first time I think I heard about the term institutional racism in the UK was, you know, um, the Stephen Lawrence case years ago. Have you? Have you guys? Yeah. Seen- um, I don't know how familiar you are with the Stephen Lawrence case. Yeah, I'm I'm really quite familiar personally. Um, I read the McPherson report, and for anyone who doesn't know, um, it was conducted by Sir William McPherson. It was basically a report um, on Stephen Lawrence's case, case, and it basically deemed the police institution new racist. And mm-hmm. it's funny because I've been in so many BAME meetings over the past few weeks, um, and former superintendent police officer uh, sir leroy he um basically said that we're almost in like a pre-mcpherson era where things just haven't improved and then david lammy um mp he produced a lammy review i f- believe that was in 2017 yeah uh yeah it was fun and basically very similar findings very similar consequences very similar recommendations and 2023 years on from the Lammy review, let alone the McPherson report, you know, we're still talking about this today. And, you know, my mom works very closely with policing in Westminster and she's literally been in the big blue police vans and she has to literally tell people, do not stop that boy. You may think that boy is suspicious, but I'm telling you to drive on. So the fact that you have to have somebody sitting there with you or sitting there with a police officer, sitting there with a police officer to say like, oh, move on is crazy. And um, I was uh, in a meeting recently as well with um, high police officers in the meeting in Westminster. And it was so shocking to me because one of the questions was, how long is training, let's say from the moment they submit an application to the police force to when they are on the ground, what is the quickest amount of time that can be done? And it was six weeks. So from the moment you press submit, the moment you press submit online for for a police officer application to when you can go on the ground, bear in mind, obviously, when you are on the ground, you are with another police officer, you are technically still learning. The six weeks is very grueling. You know, it's intense. Don't get, you know, I'm not removing from, not removing anything from that. 
But to me, a basic law degree is three years. A basic psychology degree is three years. Realistically, when you want to be a trained psychologist or a trained lawyer, you're talking at least six, seven years minimum studying. So the fact that you can study some type of law to implement on the ground in six weeks is not intensive enough i don't care if you're doing it 24 hours Mm, every single day for six weeks i don't give a donkeys because the fact of the matter is even if you're studying law for three years which is the minimum as i said you're still studying and working your ass off so for you to be able to be in a position to implement that on the ground after six weeks of training is ridiculous and then to top it off you've got the institutionalized racism and then to top that off you've got absolute bs craziness where you've got police officers that can turn off their body cams and there's no Mm -hmm. legal repercussions and this is one of the things that i have been pushing and i'm going to continue to push and i want everyone to start talking about it but there's been people that have been trying to push the mayoral office that have been trying to push the government why is it bear in mind when body ca- body cams are legally supposed to be on, but the problem is, is when they turn them off, there are no repercussions, there are no suspensions, there are no investigations. That's the yeah, problem. I think that's. I think you touched on something interesting. Um, police officers, a lot of the time, the impression that I got um, when working on on police brutality cases and actions against the authority cases um, was that police officers had the privilege of not knowing the law because it protected them either way, whether Mm. they knew what they were doing was illegal or not. um, Mm. They knew that they were protected. So they acted from that place of privilege. Um, They knew the amount of force they were allowed to use and they went above it and they knew it would be justified in some way by the law. I think the issue that we have is that Um, Every government that comes into power uh, extends and increases um, the power of the police Mm. and allows for the use of force to become more and more violent each time. And I think that's that's the crux of the issue. So if you think about the number of cases in America where people have said, I can't breathe and have been killed, that's Mm. not that's not something that is uncommon in the UK. Um, I think the the technical term for it is asphyxiation. I can never say it. (laughs) It's the time to stop. (laughs) Yeah, it's where the um, police have used use of force that has led to um, that has led to a blockage in the airways, that has led to strangling and to death. Is not like confined to America. It exists here, and it has been said to police officers here by young black men and young BAME mm. people. Um, I think and those cases, funnily enough, have never led to any criminal charges. In the UK, it is extremely rare, I think even more rare than America, to for, for a police officer to be charged with a, you know, to be criminally charged. Very for, rare for death in the UK. Why do you think yeah. that is? And also, mm. I think it's because the law always is on their side and they know that the law is on their side. Yeah, no, obviously the UK isn't innocent when it comes to that. And I think you're completely right, Zena, in saying that actually it's almost a little bit worse in the UK because in the UK, as you said, you know, they're they're so, so, so protected that actually they don't get convicted. We've got Christopher Older, Sean Rigg, um, uh, Mikey Powell. These are people that have died in 
police custody. Um, there was a case here in Westminster as well. Uh, police force, excessive use of force on a young boy. Obviously, I can't say names and stuff for you know for privacy yeah. reasons. But yeah, a young boy in South Side of Westminster. He was literally walking down the street, and someone called on him and said, "Oh, there's this boy. Apparently, he's wearing." this do-rag and he's wearing this jumper in this colour, X, Y, and Z, there's a robbery. Now, the police have come down the street and have stopped him. This is a young boy. They described him as someone who has big physical stature. He did not have... He did not That's have physical stature. The boy's 13. Yeah. yeah, he did not have physical... Actually, That's I think he was 12. And he um, was with his friend. There was literally six police officers, big, big, big police officers on him like pounding on him the boy saying please let me go please let me go please let me go his friend was there and was saying please please he's got mm-hmm. mental health issues he's got mental health issues he's got adhd please yeah, please please stop well, yeah. they did not stop they used excessive force continuously now apparently mm-hmm. the caller was fake and apparently the call that they made to identify the the navy durag and the navy jumper they can't find that call, apparently. The police can't find it. So I think that what the police done was pulled out a description out of their asshole and said that it, they, the caller said that it was a Navy Durag just so that they could try to cover their back. Because apparently the police officers then went to the caller to their house and they tried to knock on every single door and apparently they couldn't find the caller. Now, as soon as that yeah. case went round, because there was a video that went round, my mum set up a meeting with various people in the council, police and Westminster and various people of higher positions to discuss the case because obviously she was outraged. And she was like to them, listen, back in 1997, my two-year-old child, me, called 999 by accident, yeah? She goes, within, I would say, 10 minutes, I had police knocking on my door saying if everything is okay. So you mean to tell me that in a big 2020, you can't find that caller? And that's literally exactly how she said it. So there's so many inconsistencies with this case that just goes to prove that there is unconscious bias, there is excessive use of police force on young boys and they try on young black mm. boys and they try to come up with this yeah. cock and ball story about oh big in physical stature, he was resisting arrest, he was this is you jumped always, the boy. You actually the jumped yeah. the boy. He was and not only yeah. that, but his friend was saying he's got mental health issues, he's got mental health issues, and they can like ignored consistently. I think the police and mental health is a separate thing because I worked on a, a death and police custody case on a, on a which was which was um, related to somebody who had mm. mental health issues. It was a lady who actually was having an aneurysm when the police were taking her away, and they insisted she was drunk wow. and she died in in police. I know custody. that case as well. Um, yeah. and she left and she left behind a two year old, a two year old so child, you know, and mm-hmm. a, and a six year old. And a 14-year-old who was very aware of what had happened. Um, but that coming back to the point we were making, what you've just said, Iman, is nothing. If you've ever worked on these cases or you've ever, you know, come across these cases and really delved into them, um, it's never a surprise that the police lose records, lose phone calls, mm. lose magically. You know, there's a case I can't talk about because um, because the privacy of the person has been protected mm. even in the media. But mm. um, it was a case 
that involved a murder and the woman who was um the our client in that case she had been attacked and you know the person that was with her was murdered and she was almost murdered and in that case the police lost all the records of course they did of course they lost all the records and they took six months working on um you know doing an investigation looking for the files and it was yeah they took they they took six months looking for files to burn we looked up we looked down we looked in they literally said we looked in all the cabinets everything has been wiped off the system magically you know they were they were renewing the system updating the software and everything was wiped off magically only to do with this case it was absolute mm. bs you could tell but that comes back to the point where that i was making about how the police act from a place of privilege knowing that they won't be mm. held accountable so they don't feel that they need to hold on to records they need to justify their actions or that they need to um that they need to know the laws mm. inside out and a lot of the times they don't know the laws inside out but i just want to come back to the case that i was going to mention just before um we we went uh, about on about just before we started talking about the Westminster case, the case that I wanted to mention was of a young black boy. Okay, he he had been riding on a motorcycle um, that his friend had taken from a delivery driver, um, and they were they were going along the road. Um, the police officers that had been called to stop them uh, came and put their, the, drove their car in front of the motorcycle. They immediately stopped and they were ready to hand over everything. And they, you know, gave in. They were just being stupid, really. They, you know, um, and the police officer, according to the, the young man, um, came out of the car with a knuckle duster on and charged towards him and broke his, I don't know if I mentioned this before in the other episode we were talking, and broke the socket around oh his God, left eye. God. Smashed it to yeah. the point where he had to have surgery and it took months for him to recover. And they had to put in a metal plate to replace the socket around his eye to hold his oh eye in place. Oh my God. And this is a 17-year-old boy. Um, now, knuckle, they knew Sorry. they knew the like the owner of the motorcycle, everything. Yeah, like, he's they could the have one returned who called, to him. He's the one who called the police. Yeah, they could have. It was something that him. could have been dealt with. Really, yeah, easily. it could have been dealt with very, it and was, it would have been dealt with. Really it was just very. Was yeah, it was just a very straightforward, stupid young boys, you know, doing stupid things, and um, so our client was adamant that that he was hit with a knuckle duster. That kind of injury is sustained in my opinion, only from something like that. You can't really punch with your hand unless you have... Not an ice, really not crazy damage force. an eye socket. It, not, not, not smash, smash an, an eye socket. Okay. Yeah. It's irreparable and they have, to, they have to put in a metal plate. So then when we were going for... When we were going to apply for compensation for him and to hold the police accountable on this case, we had to prove that that injury was sustained from a knuckle duster because it's illegal for a police officer to use a knuckle duster and knuckle dusters in general are an illegal weapon in the uk you can't purchase them legally i didn't and even know we had them I, the only time i remember knuckle dusters yeah. is on gta I didn't know that was <laughs> <laughs> yeah and basically and police officers aren't supposed to have them and the police officer obviously outright de- denied that he has a knuckle duster um and that he used one so he was saying it was just, you know, physical force. It was just his hand. So then we had to bring in an expert to say, actually, we confirm that only this injury can only be sustained 
from the use of a weapon. It can't just be from a bare hand. Um, so this is where I was starting to lose my faith in the justice system. I found several experts that could have written a report to say that, that, that coincided, that agreed with what our client was saying. But we couldn't use them because they are experts that normally um, write and, you know, support the case of um, the defendants. Sorry, the, the, um, the claimants, the, claimants the, the people who are going to court to sue the police. And because they're claim, they have a claimant-heavy sort of history of writing reports for claimants, we can't use what? them. What? That's have to, so because, annoying. Because it won't look credible it looks biased. to the court. The court is just going to say, because the other side is just going to say, yeah, yeah, you just brought somebody who's obviously against the police, right? right. So we had to bring somebody who normally takes the side of the prosecution mm. who, who sorry the defendant who normally takes the side of the the police and we did we found one who was the lead who seemed to have a good range of both but was more um defendant heavy was had worked with the police had you know trained with the police and he wrote a report and unsurprisingly in the end he came back and said yeah these injuries can be sustained from a bare hand um and don't necessarily you know don't necessarily have to be um so the the system was set out to defend the police regardless so even if wherever you try on your side it's always going to go back to defending the police which goes back to what you said earlier like you know people think that oh the uk ain't as bad as the us no so yeah yeah, I just have a question. In time, I don't know if you like would know this because it's U.S. politics. But is it harder to kind of hold the police accountable here than it is there? It depends on what you mean by hold the police accountable. This is why I left my old job this, because in terms of like a case like this, if it was to go down in court in America, like would there be some sort of repercussion or some sort of justice to it? Would there be any chance of um, that boy, you know? Okay, so again, you're talking about, like, justice, right? Mm. So I don't believe there is justice when it comes to police brutality cases in the UK. I don't believe it exists. Because if we're talking about justice, what do you want? Do you want money, compensation? Or do you want that police officer to be charged and to go to prison? Because the latter will not happen. I can tell you that. The latter will not happen. I've, I've not seen it happen. My boss, who had worked for 20-odd years on police brutality cases and actions against the authorities' cases, and he's very well known in the, in the field, he, he had not been able to put anybody in prison. That's we, 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 never, highest... we have not been able to put police officers, police officers in, jail. in prison for the death or... or in, in yeah, you're so right. You're so right. For brutalising... Any person. So, what is the highest form of sort of compensation that a person? So this can is get? this is honestly this is where can get. I became very sort of um, hopeless about the system, and I couldn't continue to work in it because I thought there is no there is no possible change that can happen, and it's, there is no there is no way of of actually reaching any sort of justice that gives you any kind of peace or any kind of closure. If if that was my family that it had happened to, so first of all. If you have a case like that, the first thing you want to do is you want to prove that there was misconduct by the police. If you do, if you do end up getting um, a decision from the IOPC that says, "Yeah, what does the IOPC stand for?" Um, it's the independent. Oh, I always forget. 
is the independent office, I want to say. It used to Just be called the IPCC, and is. now it's called the IOPC. It's the uh, Independent Office for Police Conduct. So they, if you say that the police have, have used some misconduct, like there was some misconduct in the way that police have treated you, they're the ones who investigate it independently. Right. So the first step would be the IOPC would do this investigation, this bogus investigation, and they would come back and say, you know, there was misconduct, for example, right? There was misconduct... And then what happens is the police force says, oh, we take this very seriously. Let's hold a misconduct hearing for this police officer. They could possibly lose their job, right? You would have the misconduct hearing uh, for the police officer. And I can assure you that at that point, that would end. For the majority of cases, at that point, they would find them, you know, they would find that there was no misconduct or there was some minor misconduct and there's, you know, um, there's no severe punishment. A lot of the times the person doesn't lose their job. They might lose, at the very most, lose their pension. Um, but there's protection around that as well now. Um, most of the time they get a warning, a very severe warning. And it's kind right. of brushed under the carpet. If at that point they're found to have, you know, to be guilty of gross misconduct and they lose their job, you can raise a criminal case against them. But it will not go anywhere. There is not. Uh, I'm. I'm sure. And this is me saying it. I'm not. I'm. What I'm saying is not the law. But it's experience. It doesn't go anywhere at that point. There is nobody who goes to jail. There is no police officer that is imprisoned for their actions for brutalizing or killing anybody. It hasn't happened yeah. yet. Yeah. So the other avenue of justice you can go down is to apply for compensation. Right. Mm. And what do you do? You're basically suing the police force. But who is paying for that? Who's paying for that? That's coming out yeah. of our taxes. Yeah, We're paying for that. So there is absolutely nothing that that police officer suffers for his actions. Mm. So of course they're going to continue to use force and continue to, to do whatever the hell they want because they know they can get away with that it. That is not so mad, you know, like I, I, I think that you've expressed it and articulated it in a way that I haven't heard it before and to just kind of hear from someone who has practiced law and in particular police brutality cases in the UK, like to hear that there's literally two avenues you can go down. One is virtually impossible, if not impossible, in terms of actually properly prosecuting a police officer and him going to jail. And the other route, okay, cool, compensation, but they ain't coming from his pocket. Yeah, it's not going to make it justice. Of course, it's not justice. Conversation is never going to be like, sorry, no amount of money is going to bring back my eye socket. No amount of money is going to, or, and that's just, that's a very mild case where people have lost their lives. And also, also the the way that the the compensation schemes are set out are really messed up so you have compensation for physical injuries and you have compensation for mental injuries we try to get people to um kind of really express how how this has affected them mentally Mm. and psychologically because when it affects them psychologically that's likely to get more um compensation than it is uh than the physical stuff because with the physical injuries you can say um uh you, you can say that that injury will heal mm. right your eyesight whereas mental can be with you um, for life you say your your eyesight has healed now yeah so you you're you're okay what 
it, it takes what six months for it to heal we can we can pay back for that we can pay you eighteen thousand pounds and this goes away we can pay ten thousand pounds this goes away right whereas with mental injury or psychological injury that is a lot worse because you could live with that for 15 years you could need um ongoing therapy for 20 and usually it's years. both and it could be and yeah and it could be a loss of opportunities and a loss of work for mm-hmm. that whole time you know you're losing a lot of income but if somebody dies in police custody if somebody is killed by the police the way that we've seen with mark dugan mm-hmm. we've seen with mm-hmm. Rashawn charles you know people like that if somebody dies in police custody what is the compensation for that mm. for their families so I, you know, for somebody who, what is the compensation for the families of people who are killed by the police, who die as a in in police custody? So I'll give you the example of a case that we worked on, um, of a young black man who was killed by police, um, through asphyxiation, um, and we sat down with his family, um, and we were talking about, you know, what steps we could take next, and we were talking about how will we ca- calculate this compensation. The way that this compensation is calculated is you say, okay, he died at 19. The average black male lives up to, what, 67? I don't know the exact figures, but it's around that. That's the ballpark figure. I would, I'm guessing here. It's it's less than the average person because um, because of all the factors that affect mm-hmm. a black man's life. So you would say, let's say up to 67 is the life expectancy of a, of a black man. Up until what age would he be expected to work? So let's say he becomes a pensioner at 65 he stops working at 65 so from now from if he were alive from the age of 19 up until that age how much would he have been likely to have earned right Mm. now what is that based on that's based on his potential so what degree did he have right what was he likely to to go into what kind of work was he likely to do um what work was he already doing and if he had continued that work um and maybe got promoted at 40 or something how much how much more money would he have made and that's how they calculate it now for somebody who is living in a deprived area who became a father at the age of 18 let's say who you know hasn't had all the opportunities didn't go to a private school didn't manage to finish their university degree or even get into university what are you basing his value on are you saying his life is worth less than a person who would have finished university and got a degree Mm. and then also looking at people from those backgrounds uh, from from low socioeconomic backgrounds they're more likely to do cash in Mm. hand jobs which you have no evidence Mm. for and also I remember one of the lawyers in the room who was from our team. He was supposed to be on the side of the family, looking at them judgmentally when they said that, you know, he did some cash in hand work, but we we can't prove that. You know, we have evidence, but we can't use that. That's not mm. legal work. And he looked and said, well, we don't want to bring up any anything else that will taint his reputation. What he was doing was illegal. Wow. So there's like a lack of empathy. They just don't understand. The and the thing, the, is, the thing is, the thing is, it's like... Oh, this is why it's just so systemic because, you know, the reason as to why that cash in hand jobs are taken is because of, you know, employers, discrimination within the workplace. There's just so many factors. Like if they live far, lack of opportunity, like... And the way our benefit system is set out as well pushes people into into yes. cash in hand jobs. That's, yeah, a, whole that's a whole other, other. Yeah. other you know, episode. That's a whole other episode that I'm happy to go into. But like, 
I I work in the in the welfare system. I support families um, who are on who are refugees who are on welfare benefits, wow. and I know we've been campaigning on issues with with benefits like universal credit that literally push people either below the poverty line or into taking on cash in hand jobs. I know a family where um, Moroccan family, uh, the father is working four jobs. Wow. I kid you not, he works wow. four jobs, and obviously only three of those. Three of those are cash in hand, and one of those jobs is is registered and is part time. And be- if he puts it down as full time, his benefits will be cut. He won't be able to pay his rent. So the the entire system it's is right, set up yeah. in a way where certain people from certain backgrounds, if you're born into that background and you're trying to on your own as a as a male who's supporting your family, maybe your father isn't around, and you're supporting your family as a 19 year old male. And you have a child as well to support. Wow. Imagine the pressure on you. How can you not take a cash in hand job? How can you refuse that? You're not allowed to work two jobs a lot of the times. Most employees won't allow you to take on another job on top of a a job that you have. It will be in your contract. So your only other option to make extra money is to take cash in hand jobs. And then those are not counted if you die and they're and they're working out. And this guy says don't say it so it doesn't taint his image exactly and this specific lawyer i worked with him directly and yeah he was the reason that i really um because i just couldn't i don't think it's right for somebody like that who comes from a middle class um background who is he's not oxbridge educated but he thinks he is um and just a privileged young white guy sitting there taking on these police brutality cases just to add another star to his you know uh, to his credentials and to make himself look good and to make himself look like a humanitarian when he did not give a shit mm. about those people so one of the other cases i think i mentioned it last time about the 14 year old boy who was yeah. intimately searched yeah. by the police um and had a fit in the in the cell i remember being really traumatized when i was reading about that case and when i met that boy and i came back and i was like i can't believe this happened these police officers should be in prison blah 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 and he looked at me and goes well you know he's not that great and i was like what do you mean he's like he's not exactly a good boy don't go feeling sorry for him he is a criminal what did he do and i was like what what, wait what's he done he's like he's been stopped by the police before this boy had been stopped by the police two three times before but he had never been charged with anything he had never committed a crime he'd just been stopped by the police before and that was enough for him exactly and that was enough for him to think that this that that this boy is a criminal and this is somebody representing him now i want to i want to make what i know no, no please I want, um, this, this is this is really close to heart for me because i remember seeing these young people suffering and just hating the legal system in this country mm. the other mm. issue that we have is getting a lawyer in this mm. country like legal aid if you don't have money your only option is legal aid Legal aid takes ages to apply for. You need a whole person just to sit down and make legal aid applications because they're so difficult to to apply for. Once you get the legal aid payment, that payment only covers a certain number of hours of a lawyer's work. So most lawyers are not very keen to take on that work because it's a lot of work and you don't get paid for all the hours that you do. And on top of that, if a case goes to the IOPC, they do the investigation and they find that there was no misconduct. If you don't have the money 
to continue that case privately and to try and pursue justice, you know, and get that police officer um, into a criminal court. If you don't have the money to do that privately, legal aid will not fund it. So you you cannot pursue these cases if you don't have the so money. That's completely rigged. And the majority of people, and the majority of people who come into the system, who are you know victims of of police brutality, do not mm. have the money to p- pursue these mm. cases. And most lawyers, if it's not going to get them fame, and it's not going to get them money, they don't want to take it on because it's just it's just extra work for nothing. You hit a dead wall at some point. That's crazy. They want it for the press. So you have to be rich. You have to be born rich. You have um, to have and those uh, and it's funny in order for your life to yeah, be Yeah, and it's funny because like you have to be born rich to fight the system, but the system will never go for people that are rich in the first place. So it's actually like a lose lose, and it's set up that exactly. way. Exactly. So there's issues in access to justice because you can't get a lawyer because you don't have money or you can't pursue your case because mm. you don't have money. The, and then you get a lawyer. There's the racial you know, bias of the lawyer that you have to get over. Your lawyer has to believe you're innocent. OK, let's say your lawyer believes you're innocent. Then there is the legal system itself doesn't actually hold um, police officers accountable or doesn't charge them, doesn't give them criminal charges. And then you have, if somebody dies, the compensation system doesn't compensate you properly. Or even if it does compensate you, it can never fully compensate you for somebody's life, but it it values life less if you're Mm. poor. It values your life less. It openly values your life less. If that boy that had died... If his family were a rich white family and he had managed to have private tutors his whole life, had got into a good university, had finished his degree or was on his way to finishing, let's say, a degree in engineering or whatever, they would have calculated his life as being worth a lot more. If he had worked in his daddy's company from when he was young and he was earning, I don't know, 21K at that age, you know, that's how much they would have valued his life. And that would have made up the basis of the compensation and to add insult to the injury i remember coming out of that meeting with that family and just before we left his girl the the young man's uh, who'd, who'd passed away who'd been killed by the police his girlfriend looked at us and said okay so we talked about compensation what about justice and you know we all sort of like looked at each other and we didn't know what to say to her um and you know my ex-boss he tried to explain to her as like delicately as possible that you know this is this is what we need to fight them for. Compensation is the best way to get justice now. And then when we when they left and we were going back into the office, the lawyer that I was telling you I don't like, he turned around and he started taking the piss out of her, going, "Oh, about justice." You wow. know, Who is like, this guy? She he needs to like and get removed. She, you know, oh, I need from to his position. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that wasn't the first time that he'd said racist things. He made fun of um, a few of our black clients. That's disgusting. Um, he. And just the firm in general and um, just the legal industry in general is extremely racist, extremely racist oh. in general. And it's, it's uh, I mean, this is what I was, it's what I've been saying for, you know, the past few weeks now. It's like, so we've got an issue on the ground. Yeah, so we've got an issue with police. Then when you go to the courts, you've got an issue with the courts. And obviously another dimension that I haven't even mentioned in meetings that I've been to is, you know, as you rightly said, Zina, actual access to justice. 
then it's about getting justice mm-hmm. and then what route that you take even down to the judges less than one percent of judges in the uk are black so yeah it's yeah. like on every single level it, the the system is against you and i don't know um stop and search i don't know if you guys know the history of stop and search but it came about um from the Brix- brixton riots so in 1981 mm. the police launched an operation called operation swamp in and basically they wanted to deal with all of the street crime in brixton that came about from the riots mm. so they they called it sus laws so sus laws to search literally only black men in south london that's where wow. stop and search comes from stop and search is actually a racist tactic it came from yeah. searching black men that's it yeah it's based on it's based it's on based racial, on profiling. racial like, profiling i don't yeah i don't know if you guys heard about the party that the police um had to break up um in south london yeah, yesterday the block party. i don't know the the fact of the case but immediately what did they enforce section 60 what section 60 stop and search with no reason mm. like without giving any explanation yeah because because it was it was it was in brixton it was a predominantly black block party and th- listen don't get me wrong having a block party in a pandemic is illegal yeah not we're not taking that away but if like they didn't do section 60s on the four thousand um strong party that was a house party in where was it the yeah, beaches the, uh, huh. in manchester? don't get me started don't get me started i think it was manchester don't get me started on bournemouth beach do not get me started on bournemouth on- when you've got every single other <laughs> stacy and karen in bournemouth beach you know stuck together like yep. sardines which Land- is do you know what which is fine do your do your thing if you want to go to the beach maybe go do you know what's crazy your- someone ice cream but still someone like, you, don't, you don't want to enforce section 60 yeah someone commented something like oh so we're not allowed to go to the beach but they're allowed to protest mad and i was like are you all right are you actually all right mad, mad. it's more the other way around oh so they're allowed to go to the beach but we're not allowed to protest yeah that's what it is because when you yeah. when you hear the media reporting on the beach, all you hear is, you know, swamps of thousands and thousands of people flood to the beach, um, you know, because of uh, uh, the heat wave in the UK. Soaring temperatures. You know, hotter than Morocco. Oh, my God. But then it's protests <laughs> and it's like World War Three. Yeah. Peaceful protests. Yeah. Well peaceful protests with a minority who had altercations with the police and it's funny how they say a peaceful protest with the minority that have altercations with the police but most of the report that they're doing is is on the minority who had altercations with the police not on the peaceful protest so yeah it's just it's it's to be honest when i read about the stop and search thing to be i i came about it from um why I'm no longer talking about white people about race. That's where it was. It was in yeah. the it's in the first chapter, I believe, in the history chapter. Um and yeah, that's where I came across where Stop and Search came from. And I was I'm not gonna lie, I was shocked. I had to put down that the book. book really I really, really in such an amazing way breaks down I think you know, if you live in the UK or anywhere really, um you can really understand the history of systemic racism um, 
from that book. And yes. police, police, oh. I'll give you guys an example. So one of the councillors in Westminster, Councillor Tazali, um, guy called Hamza, literally he's like my little brother. He was elected in 2018. Yeah, but honestly... One of the best Lovely. guys. Yeah. He was elected in 2018. Youngest ever elected councillor. He was elected at 18. Mm. He was youth MP. Mm. Moroccan boy. Like, such a good guy. Um, anyway, since being elected as councillor, in this year alone, he's been stopped and searched by the police three times. And wow. one of the times where he was stopped by the police, he was literally embarrassed by the police. The police came to the car, told him and his friends to get out. They searched everything. They were so aggressive towards him. And he was so embarrassed because everyone on the estate came out and was looking um and was like oh what's going on what's going on? like this guy like you know he's just finishing uni now he's been a counselor for two years he works his ass off he doesn't have like a massive flashy car or anything like that he was just chilling with his friends in in the car i would rather our young boys be chilling inside a car than chilling on the road and then getting into you know road wars or this that and the other do you know what i mean anyway irrespective it's his car he can sit in his car if he wants to sit in his car so yeah they they literally knocked on the window and then said to everyone to get out they had the police asked for all of their ids everything hamza was one of the wiser at the time and um obviously he was really fearful he was really scared he was like listen like we haven't done anything i promise like i'm a counselor and then he was like and then the police officers started laughing was like yeah yeah sure right yeah you're a counselor ha of course you're not and um obviously like he was so shaken he was so traumatized by it and when you see hamza like you know like mashallah like he's a he's not a big guy but he's a big guy like he's taller and yeah like you you just but he wears glasses as well. I can't explain it with Hamza, but it's just like, how can you, like, racial profiling is so real. Like, for anyone who says that it doesn't exist, it does. And when he brought up to the police, he sent obviously a really, you know, angry email to the police. The police came back and said, Are you sure that they weren't fake police officers? Excuse yeah. Me? Wow. Okay. So, what did you Yeah, fake that's what they said. Now? They said, uh, they said, they said, oh, like, are you oh. sure it's not fit? Because obviously they were shaking in their boots. They were scared because obviously he's a counsellor, isn't it? I want to send him to my old So, so, so um, yeah, and then he got back to him. He was like, what do you mean fake police officers? Like, are you all right in the head? Do you think I'm a dickhead? What do you mean you're telling me fake police officers? And then they sent an apology. And, um, yeah, it's just, it. I mean, I just couldn't. I mean, I can believe it, but I can't believe it. And he he obviously said this to like full council, to other councillors, to other people in the area, and they were like, What? Oh my god, that really happened. Like, oh my god, he's like, Yeah, he only got stopped two weeks ago again. Yeah, I mean like stop and search in the UK with black men is so common. Um it affects like being youth in general, but with black mm. even the other day men, even the other day on Harrow Road, I think um, which is anyone yeah. who's Listening. it's not an uncommon sight like um it's not an uncommon sight yeah. at all you know like i'm excessive I, I the first force. time i ever saw yeah and the first time i think i ever saw excessive police force was um when i was literally in school um i think i was like 17 mm. at the time um and one of the 
boys, one of the young black boys in our school, he was just standing at the school gate after school, just chatting to his friends, and a police car pulled up nearby, and there was just like groups of kids just hanging at the at the school gates, and um, they stopped. They had stopped and searched somebody down the road, and then had drove had driven up to our school gates and were just talking to some of the young people and saying things like, yeah, we heard, you know, um, there was a fight that's going to happen around here and that was like, there was knives involved or something. And they were all like, no, that, there's no such thing. But they like fixated on this one young guy, this one guy that was like in my media class. And it escalated so quickly within minutes. We just saw them like literally smash his head against the back of the the police car and oh like handcuff him and he was just screaming and crying and our head of year was this like really feisty like really like strong somali lady and she came out and she was like what do you think you're doing by then they had already put him in the police car and were driving oh off God. she started effing and blinding she got in a car and in her car and she drove after them good wow the what an amazing station. woman and we found out the next day he was telling everyone, he's like, yeah, she stayed with me like in the police um, station. She was yelling at them. She was telling them it's unacceptable. She waited all night until my parents oh, came and picked wow. me up. Um, she was an incredible teacher. And sometimes, you know, teachers are lifesavers. But like, I just remember that was the first time I saw like real police brutality. And we were all like, but he did nothing, but he hasn't done anything. And we were, it, it just took us all by surprise. We were like, at the time, we didn't have the words like police brutality or like, you know, excessive use of force or anything like that. We didn't even have an idea of what justice is. You kind of just accept your reality and you think the best of of your of the people in power. And you're always taught the police are the people to turn to for protection, blah, blah, blah. So you think, oh, my God, you know, maybe he did something wrong. Maybe there was something. But it was so blatant, you know, in, in broad daylight, it was just blatantly. There was nothing. Mm. And he was just just put into a police car and driven down to the police station for nothing yeah. it's so like it's not and, and young black boys are the only group or i mean bame groups in general but young black boys are literally i would say the only group that are targeted for nothing for nothing mm. just racial, racial profiling, profiling you know as i said you know the origins of stop and search the sus law like it, it is mm. yeah I mean ugh, I've said this before and I'll say it again it's not shocking but it's shocking every single time I hear of another case naturally yeah. Yeah. you yeah. feel you know compelled to be emotional and it is emotional yeah. to hear yeah even though I know these things exist and even though I've heard cases and I, I've heard you know and seen traumatic cases but it's just, I, you know, even the poor uh, young boy that uh, Elijah in the that States so as well, you know, the violinist, yeah. he literally used to play violins for, for animals and his last words was like, I can't breathe. And please, and, uh, I, honestly, I can't even. It was like, I wouldn't hurt a fly. You guys, you know, you're a strong team. You guys are yeah, so strong. Yeah, yeah. And I've seen a oh, video of him as well that his family released, like just, of you know, him having a conversation with someone else. And he's just, you can tell he's such a, like, such a, such a mesquine. And for anyone who doesn't know what mesquine means, it's like just so harmless. Like he's just so like, yeah. you know, like he's just... It, 
gentle, gentle you know and oh yeah and as I said like you know it's not shocking to hear these cases but every single time I hear of a case I get so overwhelmed so overwhelmed yeah. I think the systemic racism in the police force isn't just police brutality and death in police custody i think it comes as well in many forms and within Um, the police force as well the black the black police association is very underfunded often overlooked um you know isn't given the credibility the means and the funds to do what it needs to do so many um police officers that come from a bane background that are abused regularly Reg- from the moment that they enter the police force to the moment that they leave the police force if they're if they haven't left yeah. already yeah. i think like someone touched on a really good point um like when we talk about system- systemic racism within the police force it isn't just cases of where um there's brutality and there's death in police custody it is also to do with police investigation mm. um so Stephen lawrence's case that you know sort of brought up the the idea that there is systemic racism in the police force wasn't a, a case of death in police custody or um it was a, it was a racial attack on Stephen. he was killed by racists but the failure of the police came and there the systemic racism that we came to know was as a result of the lack of investigation in the case mm. And when we say Black Lives Matter, it isn't just Black Lives Matter and please don't kill them. It's also Black Lives Matter, you need to investigate why this person was killed. Mm. It isn't that a black life can can be taken and we just brush it under the rug. It isn't just Black Lives Matter when the police are killing black people, but it's also when a black person dies and it's not investigated. Mm. So, like, Stephen Lawrence is an old case, but the most recent one is Shukri yeah. Abdi. Yes. Shukri Abdi is the new Stephen Lawrence. Mm. She's she's our times Stephen Lawrence. When Stephen Lawrence happened, we I was very new to the country and I was very young. One second, how long was the inquiry for the Stephen Lawrence case that they opened because of it? I, it went on for several years um, until the McPherson report was released. It was definitely dragged mm, for The a McPherson very long time. report was, was 1999. Um, uh, hold on. The report was in nineteen ninety nine. He was killed in ninety three. Yeah. So the yeah the report yeah. came out nineteen ninety nine. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. seven years it, it dragged. Um, and I remember like when when I first started studying law, this was like in two thousand two thousand eight. I'm giving away my <laughs> age now. This was like two thousand eight two thousand nine when I was in my first year of. Um, law and we were learning about the Stephen Lawrence case and it was shocking to us then about how the police failed to investigate how the police went out of their way to protect the people who had killed Stephen Lawrence but then now all these years later we have Shukri Abdi Mm. and it's exactly Mm -hmm. the same thing the police are aware of what happened we know who the killer is we know that she was killed that it was a murder and the police are not acting on it, mm. and that nobody has been put in jail. Mm. You know, I think what really annoys me is that they always open these inquiries to investigate um, this kind of like injustice, and then nothing really comes from it. Definitely, um, um, I think 
I don't know. This is a case that you guys may not have heard of because it it didn't get as much media attention as it should have, um, but it did get some. Um, this is a case that happened in Birmingham, and again, is about you know the police lack of investigation and lack of accountability for the deaths of of, of black people. Um, this was to do with black migrants, and um, there was a metal site uh, recycling um, plant in Birmingham called Hawkswood uh, Metal. And uh, something, just a really, really horrible, tragic incident happened there where they they hadn't taken um, health and safety precautions and hadn't um, protected their staff, who happened to be a majority um, black African migrant workers. Um, They were paying them below minimum wage. They were treating them not so great. Um, And the staff had complained to the recycling site several times saying the the conditions that we work in are not safe um they didn't heed that caution and eventually the, a wall collapsed and killed oh five god. people or five of them um, oh were my god and they were all friends so can you can imagine what this their community. community yeah um i think most of them were senegalese um it's it's about i think five men who were killed um in that incident and i met one of the survivors um and he's an older man in his late 50s with children yeah and and he was he was traumatized he he had physical injuries he was limping but on top of that you know five of his friends and co-workers had been killed Mm. and in the end, all they could do is try to claim compensation for the injuries. And again, all the families, the widows and the children could do was claim compensation based on the earnings of their husbands, which was close oh to, God. like, it was pittance, you know, how much they were earning on that plant. And their life was valued at that. So when we talk about Black Lives Matter, Black Migrant Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter where the police don't investigate the cases, Black Lives Matter where the police brutalize people, and Black Lives Matter where the police kill people. It is like whole, there's a whole yeah, it's, it's, it's of a big umbrella of it. Yeah, matter. and I I have again I've never heard of it in a way where we're talking about police brutality in relation to investigation. That is police brutality. Not investigating, yeah, failing to investigate, leaving information out, saying saying that saying that you can't find flipping files. That's police brutality. Yeah. You're purposely like forgetting this person. You're, yeah. You're what is happening? What is happening to Shukri Abdi? Even though the poli- it wasn't at the hands of the police, even though it wasn't at the hands of the police, it's a police brutality case. Yeah, the cover up. Yeah, it's yeah, it's the cover up. They're erasing her. The it's a police, it's a police failure. failure. It's police yeah. brutality. It's mad. I've never thought of it in that way. You know. But it's almost as if the police yeah, kind of probably. amplifies the injustice. Like they're there to make it worse, almost. It's mm. like from what you're saying. It is, yeah. I mean, it almost, on, in a way, they're, you know, on the side of the oppressor. They're on the side of the people that killed her. By, you know, they're not being any sort of justice. Yeah. They're making her. it worse. This case, this case being dismissed, they're erasing her struggle. They're erasing what she has been through, what her family has gone through by losing their daughter, what her community has gone through, what yeah. black people yeah. have gone through. And they're siding with the mm. oppressor. 
they're, they've been silent to it. That that's basically what it is. Yeah, and I think you'll find that a lot in in the history of the UK police. There's a lot of brushing things under the carpet because ultimately the system doesn't value black lives. The system doesn't value bane yeah. lives. So it, the police can, you know. Uh, forego that extra paperwork and not have to put in all those hours investigating this murder but they can put in you know um over a million pounds into searching for a child that has gone missing um whose parents are able to fund it themselves whose parents are are capable of of hiring a private investigator they can continue to search for her little white girl 10 years after you know for 10 years but this child who was drowned, we know who the killer is. We know the are. school she went we to. We have everything. evidence. We know. We know everything. And the longer the they wait, witnesses. those evidence, those pieces of evidence, slowly start to disappear. Mm. The longer they wait, they know. The weaker the case becomes, and there's no action. And they're not. They're not taking any action. We put pressure on them in the hope that you know they'll reopen the case and they'll look into it. But if they reopen the case, this is still. After afterwards, what will come of it? You know, another Stephen Lawrence mm. inquiry, another McPherson report that yeah, is ignored. Exactly, and then a, a Lamy review <laughs> almost twenty years afterwards. Yeah. That's a also almost twenty years ignored. After, yeah, I think the Stephen Lawrence Foundation that his mum set mm. up. Yeah, oh, that, that, that has done more. Yes, exactly. The, what's happened then? That, like that's brought more justice than the than police. Yeah, I think just to um kind of round up what do you think right now is kind of the way us like young people in this movement how do you think we can what ways can we educate ourselves and like try and make a difference try and like move on from what's happened i think more black and ethnic minority people need to be in politics i agree we need more Bane lawyers. We need more Bane politicians. We need you guys to make noise. We need to make noise. We need to not be silent on cases like Shukri Abdi. We really, really need to not look at our police as so much better than America. Yes, we've had just over a thousand deaths in, by police since you know the 90s until now and when you compare that to america you go well, yeah but police you know, brutality is in different bad. forms as we've just discussed but we, but we're a smaller country we're a smaller country so mm. in proportion to our population that is actually ridiculously high number of people to have been killed by the police we also think that we're safe because our police don't carry around guns police can kill you with ct spray mm which is essentially a type of pepper spray. You can die from CT spray. There are people who have died mm. from CT spray. You can die from being tasered. You can die from asphyxiation. You can die from excessive mm. use of force. You can die in police custody and nobody will know why because there's a blacked out mm. camera. And also, also, even if you don't die, there's so many police brutality cases that go on in the UK that are way too much, that are disproportionately yeah. aimed at young black men that is on par, if not more, than that of America. That is just facts. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I, I think I completely agree with you, Zina. I think, you know, more we need more of us in politics, more of us in law, 
um law enforcement as well community police officers stuff like Mm -hmm. that so i had um an email from a resident and he was just like listen there's been a group of boys who are you know obviously they're not in school they're burning weeds um in someone's block he was like okay what should we do about it because Mm -hmm. he was like i don't want to call the police because i know if i go if i call the police i know what's going to happen so i think that you know going forward is stuff like that just having people to talk to community police officers so now what we've done with those group of boys is we've got in the youth workers the youth workers have spoken to them there's been you know community intervention early intervention without calling the police straight away Mm -hmm. i think people need to understand as well we need to stop calling the police just for everything especially if you especially if you call the police and police come from let's say for example we're in we so we live in we all live in westminster for people who don't know westminster is um a borough in london and if we call the police we might not be getting police officers from westminster let alone that little tiny you get yeah, let alone that little tiny ward in westminster so a ward within the borough where you have community police officers who know most of the boys in the area especially the ones who you know have been excluded from school who are doing xyz know where they live know their current home situation know their financial situations you've got youth workers on the ground who know these people so if you call 999 you don't know what you're putting that boy into for the rest of his life his life can change the moment that you make that call because you might be getting a police officer all the way in north london or from east london or from as you said zina whoever's available because there's been so many police cuts Mm -hmm. they'll come in they won't know the situation they don't know who the boys are they don't know anything all they know is that something's happening this is a description of the person and we're going to use excessive police force because that's what we've been taught to do yeah i'm not necessarily against the police cuts if i'm honest i, I think, think it needs to be no um, but that it's, money yeah goes it needs to be redirected I, I, yeah i don't I'm, i don't agree with police cuts but yeah. you know if the if the police were to get more funding it needs to be redirected to the communities that's where it needs to be redirected to i don't i don't think the police should get any more money or any more funding. I know they've been cut left, right, and centre, and I'm not against it at all. I think there are mm. problems, symptoms of uh, systemic issues in our country and in our society that should be resolved in ways that should that that's not through the avenue mm. of policing. Oh yeah, not, yeah, yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, the police should not be expected to deal with youth. They should mm. not be expected to do mm. community work. They should not be expected mm. to be youth workers. The police are literally just there to, to to deal with crimes. And even then, a lot of these crimes, they're actually part of a larger issue. So young boys being on the street during yeah, lockdown. Yeah, they're not in, they're not in school. Why are they not why are they not doing their online classes? Yes, and you've gone to ask them got, if they have laptops, laptops Wi Fi, yeah, exactly. They probably, you know, some live in overcrowded homes. They might they might share a room with a sibling who's ten years plus older or younger from an opposite sex. Yep. You know, their mum might be yep. a key worker, might come from a single home. Um, single single parent yep. background there's so many factors that people yep. don't understand and and and, and exactly. this is what i'm saying about you know don't be quick to call the police 
Getting con get in contact with youth workers. It's not a police issue. Get in contact with youth workers, get with community police intervention. Yeah, early intervention. And anyone who, you know, might still be on a furlough scheme or, you know, is, you know, maybe doesn't have a job anymore and is kind of, you know, obviously still living within the pandemic and you want to do something, maybe get in contact with maybe your local youth centre and see is there anything you could do over the summer now kids are off of school. Maybe um see if you can teach about certain classes or what you've done or talks mm. or just be be a mentor yeah be a mentor or yeah. whatever it might be just be someone yeah. that that these young boys can actually talk to and have some like have an older to talk to yeah mentoring is definitely mm. really underrated i think mentoring is great but the other thing is as well like i work in brent which is one of the most deprived areas in london and it's also the place that's been hit hardest by mm. the pandemic and People are always saying, uh, also, you know, it's disproportionately BAME um, and disproportionately, there's a disproportionately large black community in, um, in the, let's just say the majority of people in, in um, Brent Borough are black. Um, the families that, the charity that I work with, the families that we support, I think we've given out about just over 20 laptops to families now because their children were not partaking in the online mm. classes because they didn't mm. have laptops. If you're living in overcrowded housing where you've got, I'm, I'm at a young boy, five people in their household, two bedrooms. If you're living in a house where you've got five people and two bedrooms and one person becomes sick, how are they going mm. to self-isolate? Yeah, where can't. are they going to isolate themselves? Wouldn't it be safer for you to leave? and be yeah. outside and not be not be in the house and yeah. not be open yeah. and, yeah. and they don't have gardens and, then, and they don't like there's just yeah. exactly there's yeah. no gardens there's nothing like that and the thing that really bothers me is when people come and act really surprised and say we really need to get to the bottom of why Bane people are dying more from COVID-19 than white people we need to do an inquiry and have a report and no, it's like it's, it's, oh, no it's racism. you don't need to do that I'll tell you right here and now, you've failed. The system has failed. It's years of keeping people deprived, years of keeping people in really shitty housing, right? Giving them no opportunities to rise, giving them no opportunities into better work, into into bettering their lives, no schemes, nothing. You, you've ignored an entire community. The majority of main people work in a sector that exposes them to the virus. They they work in a sector where they don't have the privilege to stay at home. Supermarket workers, key workers, they don't have the privilege to stay at home. If somebody of them gets sick, the rest of the family will get sick simply because they don't have the space to self-isolate. Mm. So don't act I, I don't act surprised when Bane people are dying more. People who are surprised really, really bother mm, me. Because, same. Uh, and the fact that the government says we want to do an inquiry into this issue, you don't need to do an inquiry into systemic racism. There's already enough... Inquiries. In, inquiries that have been yeah. done and enough recommendations that have been made in the McPherson report in the Lamy report mm. that you can just implement even implement those recommendations even first, even then talk about yeah even the recent um for anyone who hasn't read there was a report um that the government commission so it's an independent inquiry on the relation between COVID-19 and disproportionate amount of BAME people dying from the pandemic and they left out the 4,000 different independent contributions why did they leave it out because it was basically released in the beginning of the Black Lives Matter movement they didn't want to release it in case of racial tensions 
That's oh what they said. God. They said. They said. This society is so scared to talk. I about couldn't risk. believe it. I was like, I was like, are you that scared that people from a Bain community are literally going to come and smash up all your windows because you've you don't you're scared that we're not going to like what we read when we already know what's coming, but you want to, but you want to deliberately leave out the 4,000 contributions. When Matt Hancock was Mm. asked about it, he was um and ahhing. Um, 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 um. (laughs) You know, some of what you said about what we can do, this is one of the things that you can do. You can end this British idea of being really conservative with your thoughts and feelings. If if your generation can end that, then you can end yeah. systemic racism. You can you can bring about conversation. The fact that we are as a as a country, um, even though I don't identify as British, I'm saying we. The fact that this country, um, people are so scared to talk about things like this, feel so awkward to talk about race, are so afraid to talk about it, is is for for white people it's uncomfortable. For Bain people, we're dying because mm. of that because of that fear and that discomfort. Bane people die because of that discomfort to talk about race, to even raise the issue. I can tell you that even even in mental health practice, mental health practitioners are scared to bring up race, are scared to say, do you feel that this is because of racism? Or if somebody does bring up racism, they'll try and quell that feeling and say, well, no, you know, it could be other things because they're so uncomfortable about talking about mm. race. And some people will say, oh, you know, I'm uncomfortable because I don't want to offend you. I would rather you offend me and I correct you and you learn than that I die because we can't have this conversation. Well said. So I think bring up conversations, make people uncomfortable until this discomfort disappears, until people would learn to live with that discomfort and then get involved, get involved, become counsellors, become uh, you know, it will become mentors. It will be difficult for you because we're still in the middle of it. But it will be easier for the generation that comes after you, just as it is for you, easier than the generation that was before you. Pave the way for the next lot. Mm. Well said. Thank you for listening to my (laughs) TED Talk. I think on that note, we're going to finish this episode. I hope it was really insightful and just like a reminder of kind of the injustices that the community faces. in the UK with police um, and yeah if you want more information about what we've spoken about you can always um, come on to the Why People podcast page and yeah we're going to do one more episode on the on, in this Black Lives Matter series um, so yeah Justice so- for Shukri Abdi yes yes, yes. yes. <laughs> <Campaign guys laughs> protest Sign petitions. Let's get Shukri Abdi's case to Make noise, guys. Make noise. Make noise. And I'm I'm happy to voice. give you guys a list of um, death and police custody cases in the UK um, with a brief description of what those cases were, and you can put them as a story on Instagram or as a as, as a, a highlight. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. Thank Thanks. you, guys. Thanks. Thanks. Bye.